0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Hey, welcome everybody, thanks for tuning in. We are in a series called Unfriended, and today is part four, and uh, in this series, we're talking about the connections in our lives and how to take control of them. It's not just about friends, people per se, it's about things in our lives. Sometimes it is people, sometimes it's certain habits or, or things that we do, so uh, Unfriended today, part part four, and um, we're gonna be in 2 Peter chapter one, if you got a Bible with you. Encourage you to follow along. 2 Peter chapter 1. If you got a smartphone with a Bible app, that works as well. And we'll get to the text here momentarily. Let me jump in by saying this. If I believe that God doesn't care about my behavior, that whatever I do, as long as I have good intentions, that um, it's the right thing for me. If that's what I believe, then the less I'm concerned about scripture and God's design for me according to the Bible um, and it guiding me. If I believe that people don't like or respect me, then the truth is I won't speak up when maybe I need to speak up. If I believe that, that somehow God is mad at me and I just can't measure up to his standard, and so there's this God in heaven who's always upset with me, then I'm constantly gonna live in a place of shame and a place of rejection. If I believe that I want, I'm here on earth without purpose, that I just simply exist and that somehow I'm just another amoeba flung onto a giant rock in the middle of space, then my value as a person is significantly diminished. If I believe that I'm forgiven and that I'm empowered by a loving and an amazing God that's Lord of the universe, then that changes my sense of identity, my sense of confidence, um, my ability to to live with a certain purpose and a certain security because, you go, what is the point of you saying all this? Because what I believe determines how I behave. And so I I talked in, in part one of this series about a documentary that's been out for six or eight weeks now called The Social Dilemma. And in the social dilemma, it's, it's, it's people responsible for creating our online experience from Facebook to Instagram to Google to just how everything uh, kind of online operates. It's, it's the story of the people that created these experiences, but are now deeply concerned about how those systems manipulate our behavior. Jason Thacker um, is a a follower of Christ who's writing from a Christ-centered perspective when he mentions in a certain article about a flaw in the film. He says this, the social dilemma is helpful in highlighting some of the fundamental ethical problems of social media algorithms, particularly as they serve profit-driven corporations. Yet, listen, it fails to address the core problem. In the opening scene, the interviewer asks various experts a simple question. So, what's the actual problem here? Many respond in awkward silence as others fumble around with half-baked answers. In a moment of honesty, Harris admits that there are so many problems, he doesn't even know where to start. Even though this question is posed to spark curiosity in the viewer, it encapsulates a major shortcoming in the film. The interviewed experts focus on the many symptoms associated with social media and its outsized influence, but they don't pinpoint the underlying cause of the disease. The Christian worldview actually has the answers these leaders can't seem to locate. The deep-seated nature of sin, which infects all aspects of humanity, including our technological tools, In contrast to the Christian call to orient one's life around loving God and neighbor, sin orients us around personal autonomy and serving self. The me-centeredness of sin led to the creation and addictive popularity of curated I worlds in the first place. Let me go back for a second and walk you through this. If indeed what I believe determines how I behave, then think about this kind of picture when it comes to social media and how we're being influenced, okay? Think for a moment about a master sculptor that's working on a stone. They're, they're, they're carving and, and, and they're sanding and, and they're scraping and, and polishing until it's finished. You and I are daily being shaped. But, here's a question, will the end result, result be misshaped? because of sin and our inability to identify it or our inability to recognize that God as the master sculptor has given us a roadmap for how we're called to live in order to be shaped the right way and in order to become who we're supposed to become for a world that desperately needs our message, the good news of Christ. If if indeed what we believe determines how we behave, let let me walk you through this a little bit further. Going back to this article by Jason Thacker, he says this, but true change will not come until we admit these technologies did not operate in a morally neutral vacuum, but within a pervasive environment of sin, Many of the film's experts cast the battle for our souls as an unfair fight, wherein most of humanity is simply outmatched by the power of a few tech companies. While there is some truth to this view, listen to this, we can't abdicate responsibility and shift the blame for fake news, polarization, and other maladies solely on these technologies without acknowledging, listen to this, I love this phrase, Without acknowledging that these tools actually function like jet fuel poured on a society already aflame with sin, okay? So l- let me let me say this again: our belief about sin changes our behavior. If in the social dilemma, they they point to the addictive nature of social media and the dangers of what it can do, those are only symptoms of the core problem of sin. And when sin is the core problem, you and I ought to always be aware that what sin does when we don't understand it is orients ourselves into self. It's ongoing. Selfish, in looking behavior. That's what sin does. Now, the, the other side of it is this our belief as followers of Christ should be orienting ourselves toward God and others. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you wanna deal with the issue of sin in your life, then look at what God has done through Christ, and in his great love for you, he, he asks, will you love him back by living in a place of surrender to the Son? And by living in surrender to the Son of God, Jesus Christ, you and I live in surrender to his plan of loving others before ourselves. See, there's a vast difference in this conversation. So here's where I wanna go. In 2 Peter chapter one, Peter writes some words that I want you and I to follow here as, as we navigate through this message. He says this, 2 Peter one, starting in verse five. For this very reason... Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge and to knowledge, self control and to self control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, mutual affection, and mutual and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing. Measure. They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I pray you would open our eyes today. I pray you would open our hearts today, God, that the power of what we believe deeply impacts how we behave. And Peter reminds us, here's some principles, here's some character traits, here's some virtues that we've got to be wearing all the time. And I pray that this would quicken us in the ways that we respond online, in the ways that we interact with people we love, in the ways that we treat our neighbors and those around us and people who disagree with our opinions. God, help us hear your word today. It's in your name we pray, amen. Paul jumps in, or excuse me, Peter jumps in here and says, for this very reason, which means there was something right before this he's referring to. And what he's referring to is that God has given us all that we need to pull off living for him, not living in compromise. So that's what he's saying, because God has given us all we need for that reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And this is where you get one of those lists that is so unbelievably valuable to the follower of Christ a list of virtues that we're called to wear. Make every effort to add to your faith, goodness. To goodness, knowledge. Knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. When you hear words like that, Are you challenged at all to reconsider the way that you're living? I want you to take note that there are words that are completely missing intentionally. Peter doesn't say, make every effort to add to your faith slander and to slander, gossip, and to gossip, quarreling, and to quarreling, foolish arguments, and to foolish arguments, strife, and to strife, godless chatter, and to godless chatter, constantly being argumentative. I read that because it sure seems like in the world that you and I live in that is more and more polarized and more and more divisive every day, those seem to be the traits of so many that would say, I'm a follower of Christ, but I'm argumentative. I'm a follower of Christ and I love to quarrel. I'm a follower of Christ and I jump headlong into foolish and stupid arguments even though the list here I'm reading now are things in scripture that say, you and I are called to avoid. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness, knowledge, spiritual knowledge. Over and over, we have this list of virtues. Self-control, how's that going for you? Perseverance, this sense of not giving up on who God is calling you and I to become. Godliness, mutual affection, and love. And Peter says, make a decent effort. Make a pretty good effort. Make a strong effort. Do your best. No, no, no. He says, make every effort. Are you, am I making every effort to add to my faith? And you can read the list again. Verse eight says this. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Let's go over it again. What's ineffective and unproductive? Well, that would be making every effort to add to my faith slander and to slander, gossip, and to gossip, quarreling, and to quarreling, foolish arguments, and to foolish arguments, strife, and to strife, godless chatter, and to godless chatter, ongoing being argumentative. Want to be ineffective? Live that list. Want to be unproductive? Make excuses for why that list applies to you. But if you want to be effective, if you want to be productive, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. And to godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. What you believe determines how you behave. If you believe that Peter's got some wisdom here, then you and I need to consider what it looks like to heed that wisdom so that we can be effective and productive. This is one of my favorite promises. This is where we find that sense of purpose in our lives. Peter says, if you want to be purposeful, if you want to live intentionally, if you want to do the right things, become the right things, walk in the right things, then what you believe will determine how you behave. And Peter is saying, believe me when I say, this is a great list. Believe me when I say, surrender to these virtues, not those vices and excuses. He says, but whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting they have been cleansed from their past sins. I was thinking about this recently because... There's something about being in Christ for a season of time that it becomes so easy for you and I to lose that sense of of deep gratitude for all we've been forgiven of. To lose that sense of wonder at our slate being wiped clean. At our ability to find God's grace and, and the work of his spirit in our lives. There's something amazing about watching a young believer in Jesus begin to learn to walk as a Christian begin to realize the joy in, in, in the work of his spirit, in the, in the power of surrender, in the light bulbs coming on as scripture becomes clear, as a worship song comes alive in their hearts when they're sharing the story of their baptism and you get to see that sheer joy and passion and power, although there's plenty of ignorance in that tank, there's a whole lot of obedience that it's easy for you and I to lose sight of. We forget, it becomes old. We just go through the motions. We're just living life eking by. Peter says, if you don't live valuing and growing in this list of virtues, maybe it's possible you've forgotten all that God has done for us. Maybe it's possible you've let go by the wayside, the mountain of sin you've been forgiven of. And your ability to be connected to God the Father through the work of the Holy Spirit, don't ever let that become old in you. And dear God, don't ever let that become old in me. It's one of the things about that verse, verse nine, he says we become Blind. And so many times in scripture, when it talks about this idea of blindness, it's the idea of of people who aren't believers in Christ not following what God desires, not surrendering to the message of Jesus spiritually blind. But here, Peter says something kind of unusual. You can be a believer in Christ and still end up blind. That ought to scare every one of us. That ought to remind every one of us the power of humility, Dear God, please don't ever let me become blind. Don't ever let this become so old hat that I lose my passion. And as I lose my passion, I make excuses for behaviors that God doesn't want. And all of a sudden it's the blind then leading the blind. And Jesus says, when that happens, they fall into a pit. They end up injuring themselves. They're wounded. They don't even know what happened. Verse 10, therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Did you hear that? Remember what he said in verse five? Make every effort. See, he says it again right here. Therefore, in light of what he just said, once again, make every effort. Effort. He says to confirm your calling and election. You go, well, what does that mean? All he's saying is continuing to find the joy in growing in your faith and godliness and, and knowledge and perseverance and mutual affection, that whole list. There's a sense of, of confidence as we continue to grow and lock that out. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Now, you, you could read that and go, that's impossible. There's no way a follower of Christ, for me, That's like, okay, I'm, I'm almost 45 years old. For me, a follower of Christ, if I'm gonna live to 90, I'm halfway there. There's no way between now and 90, I'm never gonna sin. Is that what Peter's saying? You're never gonna stumble? No, no, no. What he's saying is, as you and I live with this perspective, of this list of virtues and are constantly challenged by it, we can live right. But there's no doubt at certain times in our own flesh and foolishness that we fall prey to the list of vices, even as I read earlier. And so it's not this thing where you and I will always live completely, perfectly, but it's a reminder that as we value what Peter is saying here, and keep Christ and the work of his spirit at the center of our lives, we're able to pull off Christ likeness far more than we might have ever imagined make every effort you want victory you want to live with integrity being the same person in private as you are in public you want to believe God for better things you want to be strong you want a rich, eternal reward? Then make every effort to grow in your faith. And look at that list Peter mentions. Paul speaks along these same lines. I'm just going to read this really quickly. But Paul speaks along these same lines in Colossians chapter 3. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Set your minds on things above. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other, forgive each other. If you have grievance against someone, forgive us. God forgave you. Above all these, put on love that binds them together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell in you richly as you admonish each other with wisdom, psalms and hymns and songs. Do these words describe what you believe about life with God and others? What we believe determines how we behave. Think about what you believe. Now think about how you behave. At the core, if you really take the time to think about how you're behaving, you might stop and rewind and realize there's a belief attached to it. Maybe it's that you're not worthy. Maybe it's that you'll never have the strength to overcome. Maybe it's that you're always gonna be a loser. Maybe it's that you're always gonna fall flat. Maybe that you're always gonna fail. Maybe that people will never like you. Maybe you really at the core believe certain things that cause you to devalue who you are in Christ. I read it a moment ago. Even Paul says, we are God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You're a child of God. I'm a child of God. And I believe I've got a huge, big, awesome, amazing God that cares deeply about me and has plans for me. That's why when I can take a step of faith and I can sit there and go, I don't know what's gonna happen, but here goes nothing. The reason I can do it is because I believe God will meet me as I step out in faith. And even if at some point I fail as I try, I still believe God's gonna honor me taking a step. Why? Because he's a big God with big plans for our lives. Big doesn't always mean you're rich and famous. Big doesn't always mean conquering a nation. Big doesn't always mean the CEO of a giant corporation. Big doesn't always mean something earth-shattering and and, front-page news. But nevertheless, for every one of us, I believe a big God does have big things for each of us. What do I believe about God? what do I believe about myself in light of God? And what do I believe about other people? What would this world look like if you and I were intentional about shining light into it? What would this world look like if you and I lived more self-controlled than we do now? How many relationships around us have been broken because of our own foolishness? What would this world look like and how would it be impacted if you and I fought for mutual affection and love and greater faith? Are you growing in faith, in godliness, in knowledge, in self-control, in perseverance, in goodness and mutual affection and love? Is my time invested in loving God and loving others? Am I quick to forgive because God is quick to forgive me? Am I generous with my resources, realizing I'm a steward of something beyond just this world but eternity? Am I walking the way Peter is challenging me to walk? As we think about what we believe, you can bet it determines how we behave. And my hope would be that as you and I walk away from a message like this today, we are constantly being challenged about what in the world our behavior is and where is that coming from because at the core, It's why it's unbelievably essential to make every effort to grow in the list Peter gives us. If you wanna be effective, if you wanna be productive, if you wanna be what God calls you to be and do what God calls you to do with a sense of purpose in a big, awesome God, then consider what Peter's saying and be challenged to surrender to it And by the way, when it comes to the world we live in, from the face-to-face people we live with to the social media contacts we have, this, I believe, can deeply and wonderfully transform the trajectory of our world. As I mentioned earlier, sin will always orient us to self. But there's something about, through understanding what God can do through his spirit, how we can orient ourselves to God and to serve others, being effective and productive. Think about it. Father, today, help us to realize the power of what we believe. And Lord, aside from all of the negative and all the, 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 the downer things we can believe, I pray that you begin to rise up in us a great faith because you are a big God that I believe has big things for each of us. And that God, you're gonna ask us to step out of comfort zones and walk out that goodness and to live out a greater spiritual knowledge and to be people of perseverance and to grow in our godliness, mutual affection, love, that God, we can be effective and productive because as stewards of our lives, stewards of our time, stewards of what we believe, this conversation matters. What we believe will determine how we behave. I pray we would live in surrender to believing what scripture reminds us of in Jesus name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.